Welcome back to the Exchanges Discourse podcast, and this is our first episode for the new year. I'm Dr. Gareth J. Johnson, and this podcast is a companion to the scholar-led, interdisciplinary, early career-focused Exchanges Journal published since 2013 by the Institute of Advanced Study at the University of Warwick. Welcome, listeners new and old. Many of our episodes feature conversations with academic authors who have published within our journal, exploring their research, publication experiences, and advice for new scholarly authors. Of course, sometimes we also explore issues relating to the journal itself, or the wider field of academic publishing. Today's episode is very much in this latter category, as, thanks to listener feedback, I'm going to talk in some depth about one of our article submission formats, that of critical reflections. I'll be exploring what they are, why they matter, and importantly, how might you go about writing one for us? Firstly, long-time listeners will remember that as a journal we accept for consideration material in a variety of different lengths and formats. Now naturally, we are always interested in longer scholarly review articles, around the four to 6,000 word mark, which undergo a rigorous and anonymised peer review process. On balance, we actually get more of these kinds of articles than anything else. But since its inception, the Exchanges Journal has always been open to shorter manuscripts, especially those which fall under our categories of conversations or critical reflections. Now, conversations are at their heart augmented interviews, which will include a transcript of a discussion between two or more people, with one of the conversationalists commonly being a significant figure within their discipline. This discourse should normally be accompanied by some explanatory contextualization for readers who might be less conversant, every pun intended, with the topics, publications, literature and figures under discussion. Now, conversation pieces, along with critical reflections, don't get routinely exposed to external peer review, but will rather undergo an enhanced, deeper editorial scrutinization and author revision process before acceptance for publication which means there can be quite an attractive option for authors. Today, though, I'm going to focus in on critical reflections, and if you glance at our website, you'll see in our author guidance, these formats of publication are defined rather broadly as focused critical appraisals, typically concerning areas of emerging research, a key event, or a crucial text, between 1,000 to 4,000 words. There's also a few ancillary words advising prospective authors to discuss these pre-submission with myself as editor-in-chief to check that their outline manuscript is being developed along the right lines. Now, I'm pleased to say I do indeed chat with many potential contributors each year. For the most part, they do tend to be thinking on the right kinds of lines. Way back in the mists of time, in those far-flung pre-pandemic days of late 2018, I wrote a very lengthy blog post about critical reflections as... I felt, despite having been a submission option since the journal's launch, they remained rather fuzzy in definition. Partly, though, I think the post was also myself working through my own thinking at the time concerning this format. But reading it back, most of what I said back then seems to stand up well today. And for those of you who might be interested in reading it, there's a link to that post in the episode description below. Nevertheless, Every time I speak with groups of or even individual potential authors about the kinds of work they could submit to the Exchanges Journal, there is always a lot of interest in critical reflections. Consequently then, they're clearly a worthy topic to unpack a little more, 
And hence, that's why they're the topic of today's episode. So beyond that broad outline I mentioned earlier, what are critical reflection articles then? They are supposed to be very personal takes on concepts from within a specific disciplinary field, contextualised, explored and explained for our crucially broad academic audience. Now, they have been variously described by myself and others over the years as akin to being lengthy blog posts or detailed magazine articles or perhaps even letters to the editor. While none of these descriptions is entirely accurate in of itself, I think they do speak to the basic adaptability of the critical reflection as an article format. Hence, so long as an author is critical within their overall narrative, a critical reflection can accommodate a generous degree of authorial flexibility within its format. Now, there are some strong commonalities between them, though. I mean, ideally, a good critical reflection will provide a reader with a first-person insight into some academic topic or field or other aspect. Commonly, for example, we see people writing about conferences they've attended or books they've read or even specific turns within their subject area. However, and this is the really important bit, a critical reflection must be more than a simple act of reportage. For example, were an author to focus their critical reflective article on a conference event, we are not simply looking for a blow-by-blow -blow account of who said what, when and where. Sure, this kind of information will form an element of the article, but above and beyond it, a critical reflection really needs further context, personal insight and critical appraisal of the aspect under discussion as well. Now, I will confess, while within a critical reflection, there's often a characteristic, if modest, degree of informality about the authorial voice used within them, these kinds of articles should still display sufficiently rigorous academic language and approach for the main part. So, a good critical reflection should always offer a mode of critical appraisal comparable to perhaps to that which you would get from speaking in person to an academic over drinks at a conference about a topic they understand and care deeply about. Moreover, in exploring the particular event, book or topic, a critical reflections author should seek to make a clear assessment of the value, import or impact of their chosen topic visible to the reader. Even more so, a really, really good critical reflection might even seek to present its locus of discussion followed by an appraisal which runs counter to the orthodoxy espoused by the speakers or writers or other scholars within their critical lens. As an example here, I recall reading one critical reflection we published a few years ago, which took as its central thesis the idea of demonstrating impact within one area of empirical research. While highlighting as well as recognising and evaluating impact's importance to the scholar's career, within their reflection, the author also took great pains to expose the deep personal difficulties they had with demonstrating impact from within their chosen field. Hence, the affect on the author of their topic of discussion is important within the reflection too. Or to put it another way, did the author feel challenged, emboldened, inspired by a book or the arguments its creator put forth? In what ways has their thinking or praxis changed as a result of attending the conference 
And what does that mean for their research or teaching or even career going forward into the future? Indeed, was the speech they witnessed by a little recognised academic actually something worthy of a further appreciation within the wider academy? These are all strong examples of themes, topics and areas for discussion that a critical reflection could encompass. But you can also see here how there should always be this personal perspective creating the reflective element of the article. Very much a crucial element alongside the earlier context and later critical analysis components. This then, in essence, is what a critical reflection article is. A moderately short piece of work offering personal disciplinary insights which seeks to critique or evaluate a topic of particular interest drafted in a modestly informal voice which offers insights into the personal and professional impacts of the respective disciplinary development. But now, having explored what they are, the question which arises for most contributors is, why should I as an author care about them? Or, to put it more bluntly, why do critical reflection articles matter? Now, why you should consider writing a critical reflection for publication in exchanges is a topic worth unpicking. Now, one reason springs from conversations I've had with academics is how I often hear those in the arts, humanities or social sciences are generally more accustomed to writing reflective and personal pieces than those in the sciences, although it doesn't always hold true. Indeed, one scientist in an author workshop with me commented how they could never normally write an opinion or appraisal piece and hope to have it published within their field. Not, that is, they said, until they reached a much more senior academic status with many years behind them, and a perception of being sufficiently elevated to be able to hold such a public opinion. Consequently, a critical reflection offered them the attractive opportunity to make their personal position on a topic clearer, far earlier in their career than they anticipated. Hence, critical reflections are very much articles which can be written by any scholar, regardless of seniority or scholarly tradition, and unsurprisingly, Exchanges has successfully published critical reflections from across this disciplinary spectrum. Now, another reason why critical reflections matter is because as publications, they do get considerable readership. For example, in 2022, our second most downloaded article, and that's out of hundreds published since 2013, was a critical reflection. Given that by their nature, a critical reflection designed to be an intrinsically more accessible piece of writing, the potential readership for them is much wider than a more niche research article. Now, I suspect, and I, I confess I've only anecdotal evidence here, they're especially popular with taught postgraduate and even undergraduate reader audiences who don't, as of yet, possess the depth of field knowledge sufficient to fully appreciate a more in-depth research article on a topic. As a result, a critical reflection can serve to be a powerful tool for those people looking to find a way to enter, understand and engage with a new field or subdiscipline. I mean, I suspect one day I may even meet an academic for whom a critical reflection was the spur that led them on towards their doctoral studies. And if that's you, listener, let me know. Another reason why you should consider writing a critical reflection article is something I touched on earlier. 
they are in essence shorter pieces of academic writing which will also undergo a lighter editorial only review regime. This means in practice that they can be far easier to create, edit and finalise over what can be a considerably shorter period of time for both authors and editors alike. And while I may half jokingly refer to them as augmented blog posts, we've actually had more than one submission under this heading in recent years, which indeed began life as a lengthy and insightful blog post. And on the basis of that, the author has later decided to turn this into an article. So a critical reflection can benefit an author as they are a time-efficient way to create an article which will be read by a broad academic audience and all without quite the same degree of heavy labour required to produce a fully peer-reviewed article. Even more so, having produced a critical reflection as a way to explore a topic publicly for perhaps the first time, there's no reason why an author cannot choose to develop and explore some of its themes in greater scholarly depth within a later peer-reviewed paper. You see, by publicly having established their thinking and credibility in the early critical reflection, they can not only be guided by any reaction from the readership and amongst their disciplinary peers, but to build on this foundation with their continued narrative within subsequent writings, be those later writings for exchanges or elsewhere. So critical reflections do matter because they're a way to express a scholarly opinion that get considerable reader attention, are relatively time efficient to produce and can even adapt work you've previously shared in the social media or conference spheres and provide a way to stake your claim within a field that you can build upon with later writing. Which of these reasons chimes best with you? And are there any other motivations to write a critical reflection I've missed? Do get in touch via the link in the episode description if you'd like to share them with me. Anyway, now we've explored what a critical reflection article is and some of the reasons why they matter, this leads to my third and final question. How do you go about writing one then? Exactly how you as an author set about writing a critical reflection is likely to be, in part, how you approach your own academic writing processes. And it's a topic far longer and varied than we could cover in a single episode of the podcast. If you'd like us to explore them in a future episode, let us know. Nevertheless, like every article, there are some general good practices you can follow that can help turn your idea into a critical reflection article reality. Firstly, pick what you are going to talk about, something that is worthy of wider share and consideration. Or what might be a good topic? That's very much up to you. Although, as I said earlier, critical reflections are often concerned with things like emerging or prevalent disciplinary trends, focusing on significant events, exploring conferences or workshops, or perhaps even looking at a particular book. Doesn't mean they can only be about these areas. Any topical focus is good. But if you're stuck and trying to think about where to start, picking on one of these options is a great way to start your writing off. And naturally, as Exchanges Editor, I am always more than happy to talk through any outline ideas you have in more detail. Having picked your topic, next you'll want to plan your critical reflection structure. If you're like me, that might mean drafting an abstract as a potted guide as to what you're going to write about and how you'll present the piece. I certainly found this kind of approach is very helpful in planning my own articles, although do always remember to come back and revise your abstract as the body of your text evolves. Once you have a draft structure, next you will probably want to outline your introduction in which you'll be offering context on your topic to the reader. Now this will probably take about a third of your total article word count. So 
Let's say, for example, you're writing about a recent workshop you attended. In your introduction, you need to explain to the reader what the workshop was about, where it was held, and why it was important. Alternatively, let's say instead you're writing about an aspect of your research practice. Well then, the introduction needs to briefly explain what this is all about and why it matters, and familiarise your readers with any key terminology or concepts. Now, scene setting like this is essential for any article, but even more so in a critical reflection, because remember, you are writing for such a broad audience, who are likely to be far less familiar with your field than your peers. A good tip here, if to see if you're hitting the right kind of level with your introduction, is to get a friend who doesn't work or research in the same field as yourself, and see if they can understand what you have written. If they don't, well, try and revise the introduction until they do. It really will help make your critical reflection more popular and highly read. Incidentally, one thing we don't generally expect to see in a critical reflection is an extensive literature review section. Certainly, you could and should include supporting works cited in the body of your text, although you will probably find yourself including far fewer than in a regular peer-reviewed article. A few more general articles are probably all you will need to cite in each section unless you find those that are absolutely crucial to your article. Incidentally, if you do want to review the literature more critically, I would suggest this would be far better to be submitted to exchanges as a full-blown review article rather than a briefer critical reflection. I strongly suspect you will need that additional space these types of articles offer to cover your topic to the right depth. But going back to our critical reflection, and moving to the main body of the text, your, your core content as it were, this is where you offer your insight into whatever the focus of your reflection is, but crucially, incorporating your critical evaluation of it. You should take particular care to outline how this resonates or affected your thinking or outlook, but also to establish why this might matter for your field, the academy at large, or indeed the rest of the world. You might, for example, want to offer the readers a narrative which leads them through your initial reactions to a new book, and then explores how reading it caused a change within your thinking or praxis. This, though, is your content at the heart of any critical reflection, and it will probably occupy around a half of your total word count. Which means, if we combine that with the introduction, you are actually now 85% of the way through creating your reflection. This just leaves you with the last 15% of your word count in which to draw things to a close and make some appropriate or insightful concluding thoughts. Almost certainly any critical reflection will end with an appropriate capstone which reiterates key points or highlights aspects which excited you as the author the most. Now some reflections will even offer recommendations either for further reading, research or in terms of practice within a field. Often, for example, in the case of a conference or book-based critical reflection, the author would conclude by suggesting how their focus relates to trends, tropes and developments within the wider disciplinary community. Naturally, this process of creation might sound not too dissimilar from a regular longer peer-reviewed article, and that is a very fair assessment. Which is why, throughout all the best Critical reflections, authors strive to place themselves at the heart of the writing, offering very personal revelations. Some choose to accomplish this personification within their writing by authoring it in the first person. Others choose to offer intimate insights on how what they have critiqued has affected them. 
For example, how did the event text or conference engage or reinforce the author's certainty in some research aspect? Conversely, maybe it challenged or redirected their activities. And as a result, what does this mean for their life, their work or the field they work in going forward? For example, one of my favourite critical reflections was split neatly 50-50 between a descriptive conference narrative, including who spoke and what about, with the second half exploring why the conference mattered and how it had changed the author's thinking and research direction, before drawing everything together with a few final insights. For me, it almost felt like a, almost a textbook example of what we look for in a critical reflective piece. So that's in a nutshell, is how you write a critical reflection. Pick a topic, offer context, explore it and the effect on you, provide some concluding thoughts, and wherever possible, keep it brief, pithy and accessible to a broad readership throughout. Now, this all might sound like a lot to keep in mind, but in practice, I think you will find it far easier than you thought to write a critical reflective article which lots of people want to read. So there you have it, a potted exploration of the how, what and why of the critical reflective article. Remember though, a critical reflection is still an academic article, even if it's a lighter and more accessible one, which means whatever you write and however you structure it, it will still need to reach a sufficiently publishable quality before exchanges will accept it for consideration and indeed for publication. So you should certainly still expect to give a lot of polish, proofreading and checking before you submit your piece in the first place and take account of any suggestions from the editor in terms of revising the text. Don't forget though, as you're writing that critical reflection, that they are supposed to be brief, rapidly digestible pieces. And while we all consider longer ones to around 4,000 words, there is a great power in brevity. It's a theme I keep trying to remind myself of my own generally voluminous writings. If you can provide a short, pithy, insightful, challenging and engaging critical reflection in fewer words, do so. The chances of people reading it and consequently citing or otherwise engaging with your research is likely to be much greater and you will have also saved yourself a lot of writing and editing effort given it is far easier to amend a couple of thousand words so what do you do if you find you need more than 4,000 words to really write about what you want to talk about? Well, the chances are what you're actually writing is no longer a critical reflection, but a bona fide research article. It's no bad thing, but for exchanges, we would need to send that out for external review. I hope you've enjoyed our exploration of the critical reflection, and if you have, let me know. If you'd like us to do a similar episode looking at the conversation pieces. For now, though, I have been your host, Dr. Gareth J. Johnson. This has been the Exchanges Discourse Podcast. If you wanted to chat about any of the issues raised in today's episode, or explore submitting an article, or simply to find out more about the Exchanges Journal, you can find us easily on most search engines under Exchanges Journal Warwick, or via the link in the episode description. You can always get in touch with me at the journal via exchangesjournal at warwick.ac.uk or you can find us on both Mastodon and Twitter as ExchangesIAS. Thank you for listening and obviously don't forget to like, share and subscribe to ensure you catch every episode. Happy writing. <laughs>